0: Well hello, here we are in a new year, 24th of January 2009 and the title of this CD is Spiritual Warfare Part 3 and the subtitle is The Rule of Life. It's the first in the Passing the Baton series number 2. So I'd really like us to start with prayer. Father prepare our hearts for what you want to do in this next season open our eyes show us the things we need to put down today in order that you can give us something bigger help us to be willing father help us to will enable us to do it Lord father we want to live outrageously in your favor and grace we want to see miracles We want one of us to put a thousand to flight. We want to be convinced of your bigness, your majesty, your sovereignty. We want to dream big dreams and live them out while there's still time. We want to stand before you exuberantly confident in who you are. We want to live in the fact that with you the possibilities are limitless. Those of us, Father, who aren't confident in you here today, Father, please do something that will reverse all that. Let them experience you. Be in their face today, Lord. This meeting's all about you, Jesus, not about us. We are your subjects. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. We want to know your heart, your mind. So come in your fullness and be and do just what you want with us today. We love you, we worship you, we bless you, we magnify you. And Holy Spirit how I love you, I love you, I love you. Please come and do what you do best. Show us Jesus. Show us what he has in mind. Show us his heart for his people. Thank you you never condemn, never accuse. You always lead us and guide us so gently for our own good. Please come, draw us Lord we will run, draw us Father, in Jesus name, Amen. In my notes at this point I've put, guys you all listen up, this is one you need to pay attention to, times they are a changing. There's something outrageous coming out of heaven that's going to capture the church. We have much to unlearn about church and much to learn about the kingdom in these days. There's something so profound, so majestic, we haven't even dreamt about it. There is a place in the affections of God where you're going to be swept away. So radically affected by God that you have to learn a new language and have to have your eyes touched, then a language to speak out what you're seeing. I release you to see yourself in a new way, in a way that you've never seen yourself before. He'll give you an experience of himself. Let your heart go to another place. Time can only be redeemed by speeding up our responses with the Holy Spirit so that we journey with God not only faster but with more power and intention. God says yes to the speed of our movement in these days of extraordinary acceleration. We have to say yes, not only more quickly but also more significantly. The quality of our response must improve if we are to receive the fullness of the increase that is available. Change is here to stay. Time is the only commodity we have. We must not waste it. And we cannot get it back again. There's a call on the church right now to book kingdom first. To build anew. Encounter heaven in the way that God intends in these days. Heaven is truly coming down to earth. We need to recognize the times we're in and respond to God. The Pharisees, you know, failed to recognize the most immense visitation in the history of the earth. They didn't see what was right under their noses, they couldn't see it. It was interesting, after the whole outpouring of Pentecost and the church turning the world upside down, if you look in the final chapter of the book of Acts, Paul's last words to the Jews were, your heart has become dull, I'm going to the Gentiles. Dullness is our inability to see God as he really, really is. Father, open the eyes of our hearts to see you as you really, really are. I'm going to start by reading again the Divine Acceleration Prophecy that Graham Cook spoke some little while ago, and then I'm going to pull some points out of it for you. So if you're listening on the CD, so that you won't miss the content, which I'll be playing for those who are there on the day, i'm repeating the podcast from graham cook entitled divine acceleration in which god invites his people to partake of a divine acceleration we are in a season of divine acceleration there's a quickening spirit abroad in the earth The Lord is redeeming time because the days we are living in are becoming progressively more wicked. Time is the currency that our lives are running on, not money. God redeems time by speeding up the process by which we are transformed. I say to you there is a quickening spirit upon your life should you choose to accept it. What you thought would take years will take months. What you thought would take months will take weeks. What you thought would take weeks will take days. The favour of the Lord is upon you to accelerate your development in this 12 months. The Lord will give you five years growth in the next 12 months, but you have to learn to run. You must say yes much faster and mean it. You must stick with the process. Acceleration is a paradox. It's not always easy but is hugely enjoyable. I believe the Lord would say to you, this is how I want you to see the next 12 months. It's a crash course in the glory of your God. In the next 12 months as you progress, as you speed up in the spirit, you will receive an anointing to live life at a high level. I will renew you in the spirit of your mind. I will open your heart. Your eyes of your heart will be enlightened and you will see the hand of your God everywhere in your life. You will learn to look at your life through my eyes and you will see what I am seeing and your heart will be overwhelmed with joy and with laughter. There will be a faith that rises up. There are many quick victories that I intend to give you. Do not look at the next 12 months in the way you've looked at the last 10 years. I'm giving you new eyes. I'm giving you a new heart. I'm giving you a new mind. You will perceive totally differently. You will believe more freely. And you will think the way that I think. Because this is what I'm doing. I'm elevating your thinking to my level. You will think on a level that I think. You will behold in the Spirit what I am beholding. You will understand what I am holding out to you and you will take the provision of your God and spread it around your own life. You will come into a place of successive, easy and quick victories. There will be some situations though, says the Lord, where I will deliberately hold up victory just for a while so that your revenge on the enemy can be complete. There will be times, says the Lord, when I will allow the enemy to contend with you so that I may establish you in something deep and powerful and profound. And Father says, when you come into a situation that is resisting you, I want you to smile because the hand of your God is with you and I intend, through the resistance, to give you a double portion. It's not about what the enemy is doing. It's about what I am allowing. I will allow him to come against you so that I may give you a double portion and that I may increase the anointing upon you in those days. And your life will be a balance of easy victories and times when the enemy will contend. But it's on those days of contention that I have a divine increase for you. The Father says look for increase in a time when the power seems to have slowed down. Look for the increase and stand and worship. You will know me for I will reveal myself to you and I will come to you. I will establish in you the very things I want you to have and you will behold the power of your God. You will start to think with a level of wisdom and intelligence you have never seen before. You will start to see in the realm of the Spirit in a way you've never seen before and out of your mouth will come words of faith, says the Lord. You will completely lose the ability to worry or be anxious because I'm making war on anxiety. I'm making war on panic. I'm making war on fear. You will not be subject to those things, but you will know your God. You will be strong in the Lord and do exploits this 12 months. You will do exploits in your own life. When those things are established in you, I will lead you. I will bring you across the path of people who are victims in the area that you have just broken through on. And you will assist them. You will help them. You will be a breakthrough anointing to them. As they break through, your anointing will go to a deeper level. So that as you give out so the anointing in you will increase and abide and it will abound in this way says the lord in the next 12 months you will make years and years of growth you will become the man and woman you were always supposed to be and you will come into a place where nothing will overwhelm you you will come into a place where you cease to be a foot soldier in the body of christ you will take on the stature of a warrior like one of David's mighty men. I will cause a greatness to rise up within you. Even as you come to the end of this 12 months of training, says the Lord, I'll begin to show you and declare to you what your personal inheritance is, so that you may be a stakeholder in the territory of the spirit that I choose to bestow upon you. You will come into your ministry, you will come into your anointing. You will come into your place of abundance. You will come into your place of favour and inheritance. You will begin to get an idea of what your assignment is. You will know who you are, you will know your identity and you will know your inheritance. You will begin to stand in and trade upon the favour that is present over your life. In this next 12 months you will see the glory of God in your own life. In your own circumstances and I will cause you to rise up and occupy a place of overcoming. You shall overcome yourself and then you will no longer be your own worst enemy. For when you've conquered yourself then I will send you out on a great adventure. Nothing will overwhelm you because I will teach you that every obstacle is indeed an opportunity and every opposition can be laid low. That which will rise up in you in this next twelve months will be nothing less than the sovereignty and the declared majesty of your God. It is my intention, says the Father, that you would know me, and that you would be strong, that you would be filled to overflowing with the goodness of God, that you would know the majesty of God, that you would have the joy of the Lord that the power of God will overshadow you and erupt within you. You will no longer be the person that you once were, but I will turn you into a different man, a different woman. This next twelve months is for you to discover who I am for you. It's for you to come to a place of trust, a place of peace, a place of rest and a place of faith is for you to discover who I am as your father. I intend to enjoy myself this year because during this year you will actually stop whining. You will begin worshipping instead. I intend to enjoy myself, beloved. In this next 12 months, I want to bring you into a place where your life is a joy and de- delight to yourself and where you'll enjoy your life and you will be delighted with your life. And you will be ecstatic about who you are becoming. I'm going to banish low self-esteem. I will do violence to self-hatred. I'll bring you into a place where you are happy and relaxed about who you are. Because when I look at you, I'm happy. I'm relaxed. That was put out by Graham Cook. And you can locate his teachings on www brilliantbookhouse.com I'm fully aware that uh, many of you and those of you listening have already listened to this prophecy several times but have you heard it? and more importantly have you responded purposefully to it or taken it for yourself in order to understand what's being said and run with what the Lord is offering us? I want to just spend a few minutes looking at what's being said here and unpicking it in order that we can see where the teaching today fits in with this. God is making several points. Not the least that time is the currency our lives are running on, not money. And he is going to redeem the time and speed up the process by which we are transformed if we will choose to accept it we have our part to play in this we really must stop wasting our time it is something we can never get back one thing that really bugs me is when I get my time wasted by other people over something that has no eternal value present company accepted there are great and precious promises contained in this What we thought would take years, if we ever thought about it, will take months. We're promised five years of growth in 12 months. That's fast. Get your running shoes on. We're promised a crash course in the glory of God, and a promise that we will receive an anointing to live life at a higher level if we stick with the process. And what about this? I am giving you new eyes. I'm giving you a new heart. I'm giving you a new mind. You will perceive totally differently. You will believe more freely and you will think the way I think because this is what I am doing. I am elevating your thinking to my level. I'll have some of that. Just meditate on what God's saying there. You will think on a level that I think you will behold in the spirit what i am beholding you will understand what i'm holding out to you and you will take the provision of your god and spread it around in your own life isn't this what we've waited for you'll come into a place of successive easy and quick victories There'll be some situations though, says the Lord, where I will deliberately hold up victory just for a while so that your revenge on the enemy can can be complete. I'll have some of that too. There will be times, says the Lord, when I will allow the enemy to contend with you so that I may establish you in something deep and powerful and profound. And Father says, when you come into a situation that is resisting you, I want you to smile because the hand of your God is with you and I intend through that resistance to give you a double portion. It's not about what the enemy is doing, it's about what I'm allowing. I will allow him to come against you so that I may give you a double portion and that I may increase the anointing upon you in those days. I noticed as I read that again, the number of times God speaks about increase. He is a God of increase and multiplication. He is not a God of division and spreading it thin. It's God's stated intention that we should know Him, grow strong, see His glory, and that we will be filled to overflowing with the goodness of God that we should know the majesty of God, that we'd have the joy of the Lord, that the power of God will overshadow us and erupt within us. He also promises that we will no longer be the person we once were, but he will turn us into a different man or a different woman. I haven't covered everything. Let the Holy Spirit brood over this word and reveal his purposes to you. You can craft a prayer of response from this prophetic word, and that would be really good. And then you keep on praying it until you see things changing and happening. It's called breakthrough. So why don't you turn the CD off for a minute and just take time to let that prophecy sink in. And decide whether or not you want to respond to it. Okay. While I was preparing for this teaching day, I saw uh, that the church of Christ like a giant oil tanker in the midst of the ocean. She set her course and she is sailing as fast as she can. Uh, But like an oil tanker, her speed is relatively slow compared with, say, an ocean-going yacht. And we're all on board, this oil-filled tanker. It occurred to me that, as when an instruction for change of course comes from the captain on the bridge, it takes a long time for that huge vessel to respond. So with the Church of Christ. From the prow to the stern is a long way, and it takes a long time for the stern to respond, although the prow will be the first to change direction with the rest of the boat following. Prophetic people are those who are like the prow, they're up the front, They are the first to hear God's instruction and convey them to the body. Change course. And it's only when the body begins to sense this movement that the whole vessel turns. And then they begin to shout, get excited and join in what's happening. And so the whole church eventually moves. God showed me some years ago that there can be as much as 25 years between what's happening on the cutting edge of church and the institutional church, even though it's all one body. The late Jonathan Edwards said, The task of every generation is to discover in which direction the sovereign Redeemer is moving, and to move in that direction. We need to be like the sons of Issachar, who knew the times and the seasons, pulling ourselves towards tomorrow and bringing the future into today. We are not of those who live in the past so that it becomes their future. We are those who press on into God for all the things he's holding out to us in this day and in this time. This will require us to recognize that whatever has our focus, we empower if we are captured by a damaging past, if today you are wounded, offended or have been betrayed and that experience is still holding you, you are captivated by your past and not your future. I would urge you to see that everything you've experienced can be turned to profit if you will allow it. By changing your focus, by dropping the thing that has dogged you for so many years, you will disempower it you will render it powerless over you. The best way to keep it dead is to live in the new, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are not defined by the disappointments and betrayals in your past. You are defined by what God says about you now, what he is holding out to you now. What we love we think about. What we wish to excel in we practice. Jesus is worth all our energy and zeal. We only get one shot at this thing. God has said that there's a quickening spirit abroad in the earth and no doubt many of you as you're listening to this will be responding to that. And you'll have indicated that you want this acceleration that needs to take place to achieve five years growth in one year and it will be mainly to those who want that acceleration that this teaching is addressed. To those who decide to stay where they are, be blessed, the choice is yours. (laughs) As Graham Cook would say, go and have a coffee or something. But for those of you who will be indicating to God that you want what he's holding out, an acceleration of growth, five years in twelve months or less, It means you have to learn to run. Make quick decisions. No more dallying with responses. No more indulgence in procrastination, self-centeredness, unforgiveness, resentment, bitterness or anger. The life of Christ is going to be made manifest in you through the work of the, the indwelling Holy Spirit And he has an unabashed enthusiasm for you to succeed. Ephesians 5, 1-14 says this. Walk in love. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love, as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks for this you know that no fornicator unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience therefore do not be partakers with them for you were once in darkness but now you're light in the Lord walk as children of light for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness righteousness and truth finding out what's acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you or give you light. It's time beloved for the Spirit and the Word to come together. A prerequisite for this acceleration that Graham spoke of is intimacy with God and alignment and cooperation with the Holy Spirit. We're going to be working our way through a program of teaching and training this year which is designed to bring personal change and development into your life, if you put it into practice. This really is audience participation. I sense that I'm not going to spare you. There is such an urgency in me for the body of Christ in Great Britain to catch up with what God wants to achieve in and through her. Differences must be put aside for the greater vision of the Kingdom of God which is straining in us to advance. Today I aim to give you a tool in your hands, a failsafe mechanism that will bring you into maturity very rapidly if you will take and apply it. You are responsible for your own spirituality, no one else. This is your own personal responsibility before God I can only hand you the tools I can't make you use them but I do pray that you will I'm passionate to see people abandoned to Jesus wasting their life pouring it out like an offering to him I want to see wholehearted believers people who really believe that Jesus Christ is Lord who know that they are his possession and he is their Lord people who really believe he's the redeemer and is redemptive in absolutely everything he does people who are beginning to understand the majesty and the supremacy of our lord jesus christ and who live in everything he died to give us people who know what it means to celebrate being in christ and venerate the father revere worship adore honor esteem respect and hold in the highest regard is what I mean when I say venerate. The titles for the first six months that the Lord has given me indicate that he wants us to get ourselves into alignment with him, in right relationship with him, his indwelling Holy Spirit and with each other, and to understand what his goal for us is both individually and corporately. We're in for a season of change and development into his likeness. Loving the things he loves and hating the things he hates. Relationship, relationship, relationship. Those of you who were here for the baton meeting in December last year know that I said all I could hear the Lord shouting in my spirit was I want relationship with my people. Life in the Spirit is about displacement. It's about digging out your own internal wells and making room for an increase in the Holy Spirit. It's about how you live out your own life every single day before God. It's about seeing yourself the way He sees you, having the mind of Christ and living the Christ life. It's not about visitation, as lovely as that is, renewal or any other movement but about habitation. An individual walk, one-to-one with the Holy Spirit as he makes you his habitation and lives his life through you. It's about a day-by-day, moment-by-moment cooperation with him and his dealings with us. We do need to identify our areas of resistance because opposition will attach itself to what we don't remove or let go of. If you don't know what you're being asked for but just sense an unease and a resistance internally, ask him to show you and then let him have what he wants. In this month's podcast, January 2009, Graham Cook spoke about the fact that whatever we focus on, we empower. I made reference to it earlier. That means if you are wounded or offended from past hurts, betrayals or disappointments, and you're hanging on to them, focusing on them, empowers them and gives them life. He suggests that you make a list of your disappointments betrayals and hurts and choose to expel them in order that you live not by what has happened to you but by what God is saying now. We started with what God is saying now and the promises he is making us as a people. You'd have to be very silly indeed not to tear up the old in order that you can come fully into the new. You could stop right now and make a list of your negatives and put the opposite, positive, alongside and see how much happier you'll be if you lived in that. If you still can't let go, enlist the help of the Holy Spirit. He's brilliant at this stuff. It's his job to conform you to the image of Christ and he loves it. The Lord has to take out of us what shouldn't be there so he can put into us what should be there more of himself. It's therefore imperative that we let him have what he's asking for. What has he been asking you for? About what has he been saying to you? Give it to me, I'll take it. What is he trying to get you to let go of right now in order that he may fill you with more of himself? The goal and work of the indwelling Holy Spirit in your life is to conform you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's His goal and function. It's intended that we should be partakers of the divine nature. Peter says, His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 1 Peter 1 3. Sorry, 2 Peter 1 3. We've got the goods. We are empowered. The work starts on earth, not when we get to heaven. This is our training ground. Everything we do, everything we experience, is training for our reigning as the eternal companion of a glorious king. We are betrothed to him. He is our beloved, and we are his treasured possession. And he is conforming us. To his likeness being Christ like means you have to love your enemies some of us have enough problems loving our friends it means you have to move in the opposite spirit when people oppose you and bless those who persecute you and pray for those who abuse you it's basic stuff It means living at peace with everyone around us as much as we are able, as much as within us lies. It means that we know how to handle conflicts. It means we are making the enemy pay for every inch of ground that he wants to contest. Because when the enemy is contesting something, God is establishing something. Remember the word we just heard, some victories will be easy but sometimes God will allow a contesting he will hold up victory so that he may establish in us something deep powerful and profound and when we're being resisted we have to learn to smile. As Graham Cook would say you can't get hands laid on for an impartation for process. Process is the journey and it's unavoidable. It's also delicious. You get to choose. He brings you the easiest way you will come. His heart is full of love for you. It's overflowing with love for you. We cannot hope to engage in warfare unless and until we have engaged, connected and are in communion and communication with God And we have his heartbeat for the people around us. We do have to be good enough for the enemy to attack us. Most often we are our own agency of attack. And the biggest and easiest agent for Satan is a carnal Christian. One who lives not in their spirit man, but in their soul. The goal of the enemy is to take us out of what God has put us into, Jesus. The goal of the Holy Spirit is to keep us in the place of rest, security and anointing in Christ. The enemy will use people, events, circumstances, temptations and opposition to destabilize us, make us focus on those things and our own weakness and inadequacy, force us to worry, become angry, blame shift, be resentful bitter, unbelieving, fearful and anything else you like to name. Anything to cause our old nature to rise up against God. The Holy Spirit will use people, good and bad, events positive and negative, circumstances helpful and otherwise, temptations, though he doesn't cause them, and opposition, demonic and human, to cause us to look up and recognize the love, power and grace of God. Our problems will either confirm the fact that we're living in Christ or establish the fact that we are not on this occasion just by our reaction to them or our response to Him. It's therefore imperative that we learn to live from our spirit man, from the inside to the outside not the other way round. That we learn to practice by our choices living from our spirit, not our soul. Where we govern ourselves in a godly fashion. We control ourselves and so cease to need others to help us control ourselves. Young Christians need help in this area until they're sufficiently able to exercise control over themselves, their babes. They need teaching. I used to tell my son when he should go to bed. Thankfully now I don't need to exercise that sort of control over him anymore. He is able to make up his own mind about the time he retires. The only form of control that is acceptable in the body of Christ is self-control. It is one of the fruit of the Spirit within you, and he is the one who will teach you how to control or rule yourself. Proverbs 16:32 says this Better a patient man than a warrior a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city It's the goal and ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives to bring us to maturity in Christ in order that his life might be made manifest in and through us God cannot do through us what he has not been able to do in us In the first session we majored on our own inner territory which we said must be regained before we can move out against the enemy, and we looked at warfare as it related to everyday life and circumstances, particularly with those closest to us, and how how important our attitudes were towards them. In other words, we earthed our warfare in the here and now, in everyday living. In part two, we looked at, among other things, how important obedience and submission to God is. We saw the principle that we cannot take ground from the enemy if he has ground in us. It's a universal law and you cannot fight flesh with flesh without both of you getting wounded. And it isn't very pretty. If you don't practice agreement between yourself and the Holy Spirit, you'll be soulish, led mostly by your feelings and your emotions, and heavily influenced by rational thinking. In a word, carnal. A soul like a sumo wrestler, as I heard recently, and an underdeveloped spirit that looks as though it has anorexia. Rule number two, we found, was not getting drawn into the human element of what's happening around us. Seek to find out what God's perspective on what's occurring is. The issue is never the issue. The issue is, what is God's perspective on this? So you need to slow down, take time, seek God, find out what the Father and Jesus is saying. What's the conversation in heaven about this? This time is never wasted. Philippians 3.20 in the Amplified says this, But we are citizens of the state, commonwealth, homeland, which is in heaven. And from it we also earnestly and patiently await the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, as Saviour. So we are citizens of heaven. So at the point of conversion the Holy Spirit came in and merged himself with your human spirit with a view to taking the driving seat. Anyone need to hand over the steering wheel today to the Holy Spirit? There are three voices at least that you can be hearing. God, yourself and the enemy. The biggest hindrance to spiritual living is listening to the voice of your flesh. You have to get top sides of that thing and put it in its place. We do need to learn to discern the voices we're hearing and who is saying what. Our biggest enemy, let's face it, is ourselves. It has been said we have seen the enemy and he is us. We have to get to that place where we are honest about ourselves and stop seeing others as blocking our way. If our way is blocked, it's God who's blocking it. He is the author and finisher of our faith. People may stand in opposition to us, but we must develop a right response to them, realizing that God's doing something on the inside of us, not them, and that when we point a finger, three point back at us. His purpose is that we might understand that people are there to grow us in grace and by that I mean the fruit of the Spirit might come forth through us. The enemy is there to grow us in spiritual strength. We mustn't confuse the two and start labelling people as having spirits or demons when the Spirit who is at work is God. People are not our enemy. We only have one enemy and that is Satan. If God so loved the world, then so must we, as his beloved children. We'll be addressing uh, what needs to change in us for that to happen in the coming months. So Soul versus Spirit really defines the battleground and I make no apologies for spending a lot of time on this subject. We must settle the issue of supremacy who's in executive control before the kingdom can be advanced in our lives. You'll quickly discover that this teaching is life-giving and life-changing only to the extent it becomes flesh on you. In other words you live it out and put it into practice in your everyday life and circumstances. Otherwise it's just another CD on the shelf and another set of notes on the computer or on your file. It must be worked out, worked in, all the time. We're not making plaster saints or cardboard cavaliers or indeed chocolate soldiers who melt at the first sign of heat, but flesh-and-blood fighters and, conceivably, warriors. So we need to change our perspective. Consider these two statements. Christ died for me, I gave my life to Christ. The one focuses on him, the other on self. The latter statement, I gave my life to Christ, is subjective. It's personal, slanted towards me, and it's one-sided, it's self-centred. The first statement, on the other hand, is objective. His focus is Christ and what he has done. It has purpose and intentionality. He looks away from itself to another who it recognises as its source. Beloved, one of the changes, the shifts, we need to make in 2009 is from subjectivity to objectivity. Making Jesus Christ the object of our intention, our attention, and affections. We need to become as intentional and purposeful towards God as he is towards us. He did not spare his own son. This will mean we have to have the courage to first admit our problem which is self-centeredness and then have the courage to determine to work change work to change our centre of attention, intention and affection to being Christ-centred. So goals. What goals do you have for your life? Or said another way, what's your life's goal? You need to have something to aim for. You know what the old saying is, if you aim at nothing you're sure to hit it. How about this one? My goal is God himself any road dear Lord at any cost or try this one since my eyes have looked on Jesus I've lost sight of all beside so enchained my spirits vision gazing on the crucified that's an old old chorus I want my tombstone to read the Lord's servant was possessed by God I want my life to manifest whose I am. I want my life to show forth the glory of God in this physical tent. I want people to know by my lifestyle what a wonderful Saviour I have, who is able to save to the uttermost those who come to him. What do you want your tombstone to read? Fallen discernment is judgment or suspicion, and most often we're guilty in the Church of Christ of operating in judgment, not discernment. You'll remember when we looked at what discerning of spirits really was in our last session on spiritual warfare, we found that it wasn't what we thought it was. You'll remember if you were at the first teaching day on this subject, I said that there are at least four reasons why you could be oppressed by the kingdom of darkness rather than living in the kingdom of light. The first was disobedience or delayed obedience. Procrastination is another word. Next, previous involvement with the occult that is still not confessed and cleansed. Another one sinful attitudes offenses unforgiveness big one grudges are you holding a grudge or is a grudge holding you living in the flesh not the spirit wrong attitudes if undealt with can open you up to quite severe oppression and affliction thinking and feeling as you do because of what they did to you but in actual fact every time you have a bad attitude or a bad thought It's an opportunity that you give to the enemy for invasion of your space. You know what Jesus said. You didn't ask me into your head when you got saved because I don't like what goes on in there. You asked me into your heart. We're always in alignment with something, either God or the enemy. There's no in-between. And the Bible speaks a lot about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. So what are we welcoming into our lives? It's really important in terms of maintaining spiritual integrity that integrity that enables us to go up against the enemy when we have to. There's a call to fight on every single one of us. We're called to be soldiers. We're called to be an army. Every Christian is called to be a soldier in the army of God. Soldiers are called to counter evil with the overwhelming good that flows from the heart of God. We absolutely have to win the internal battle. And God's promise to us in that prophetic word is that this will be the time when we will get set free from ourselves. Learning how to behave, love, and accept one another in the family of God will mean something of ourselves has to go in order to make room for others. When God looks down on us, he sees one church, one army, one body, one bride, one soul. He doesn't see partiality, splits and division. Each one of us has some peculiarity. Bear with it, you're someone else's grace grower. We are learning to accept one another as Christ accepts us. This is a choice we make, and sometimes it's harder than others. We're all on a journey. Cease seeking to change everybody. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Instead, concentrate on what God is speaking to you about, because at the end of the day, you'll only have to give an account of the way you lived your life, not how others lived theirs. Cease expecting anything from anyone else other than God. In that way you will avoid being disappointed with people who can't come up to your expectations anyway. Andrew Murray said this in his little book, Waiting on God. Cease expecting the least good from yourself or the least help from anything there is in man. Just yield yourself unreservedly to God to work in you. He will do all for you. Isn't that lovely? Be at peace, live in harmony, accept others as they are until the law washes clean whatever differences we have. Unity doesn't mean we're all growing up at the same rate or all believe the same thing or all have the same vision. It's about being at peace, living in harmony, standing together against a common foe. We don't exist for ourselves. We exist for the glory of God and that is our point of unity. He is our Lord and we are his possession. Therefore we worship him and everything else is peripheral. So take the wider view. God is in control. Concentrate on what he's saying to you this day. If what I've said to you so far hasn't spoken to you, be blessed, go and have a coffee. You're in a good place, switch off and leave it to those of us who by now have recognised that we do need to make some changes in our lives. Everything flows from our relationship with God. So relationship is the goal of everything God does with us doesn't begin with him and end in our vision or our ministry. It starts with him, he's the Alpha, and it ends with him, he's the Omega. Romans 11.36 says, Of him and through him and to him. In the New King James Version it says, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory for ever. Amen. Everything begins with Him, and ends with Him. And our vision, or ministry will be part of that journey somewhere. The process, the journey is so important to Him. We just want to get there. We are impatient for the thing we've seen to come to pass and this is where our danger area is. That in our immaturity we seek to cut corners in order to reach the destination as He just wants us to enjoy the journey with Him. Beloved, do not be distracted from your journey into the nature and heart of God. Whatever your vision or ministry that He's given to you, be sure it doesn't distract you from Him. He is life's summum bonum, which means that He's everything you'll ever need. He's your all-sufficiency. It's his vision, he will bring it to pass. Meanwhile, make the choices, enjoy the journey with him. Two things, relationship and function. Don't get so hung up on your ministry that you forget your relationship with him. Relationship is paramount. Function, what you do, flows out of relationship, not the other way round. So don't get so hung up on the destination that you forget to enjoy the journey and don't get hung up on the destination if it isn't him. We need goals in life. My goal is God himself, by any road, dear Lord, at any cost. If your goal is anything other than the heart of God himself, you're pursuing a wrong goal. The goal of your life is not your vision or ministry, as important as they may be, as a function, and whatever you have seen. The goal of your life is to keep your relationship with him and be formed into his image and likeness. That's his goal. So your goal can't differ from that. Oswald Chambers in the book My Utmost for His Highest for the 4th of August says this The main thing about Christianity is not the work we do but the relationship we maintain and the atmosphere produced by that relationship. That is all God asks us to look after and it is constantly assailed. Your relationship with him will be constantly under attack. Jude 21 says Beloved, keep yourselves in the love of God. Our whole life is to be spent in keeping ourselves where he's placed us, in his heart. And to do that we'll need to understand his heart and his intention for us and those around us. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 in the NIV says this May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. God is circular in his movements. He works across different cycles in our lives at the same time. He's simultaneous and circular or cyclical everything starts and ends with him find out where you are in the circle or cycle and it's easy to cooperate ask him where he's asking for change and cooperate with his answer and then the result is increase in intimacy change and adjustment equals increase in intimacy simple so let's talk about warfare We live our lives on a battleground between the clash of two kingdoms. Warfare doesn't go away if we're not ready for it. God and the enemy don't take holidays and we're in this 24-7 whether we like it or not. So we better start liking it. There are three things a training ground, a proving ground and a battleground. Training is where we gain the skill and the knowledge about fighting. The proving ground is where we get to find out whether we really have learned anything about God and ourselves in all this. And the battleground is the place where we're headed. And the Holy Spirit has an unabashed enthusiasm for you to succeed. God will allow conflict and difficulty for your growth, he said so. You are not meant to sidestep it. You are meant to find out what's in it for you. What's my inheritance in this, Father? What can I gain out of this conflict? Something in my fist that will be a resource, a breakthrough, anointing for me and others in the future. What does this mean? What should I do? Adopt a different attitude to that which comes against you. See it for your profit, not for your loss. Everything is to be turned to advantage. God says so, Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together for good for those who love God, who are the called, according to His purpose. Practice praising God and thanking Him in all circumstances, as we're commanded to do in one Thessalonians five eighteen. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you, in Christ Jesus. We aren't to give thanks because the circumstances are good. Oh, thank you, Lord, I've got a flat tyre. Often, the circumstances are dire. The reason we give thanks is because he is in there with us and will either keep us through it or deliver us. Demoralisation, penetration and intimidation are enemy tactics. He will demoralise you, penetrate your defences and intimidate you as often as he can. He will look constantly and consistently for cracks through which he can gain access in and through your relationships. Vigilance is the key. Right Right relationships are imperative. He will use relationships consistently to divide and rule. Your place is to disallow it. Stop him gaining access by being vigilant. I'm not having that thought. I'm not thinking that about those people. I'm thinking something good. I'm going to bless them. May mean a slight change of mind, maybe. It's a deliberate policy that we choose to adopt we will not think evil. We will overcome evil with good starting with your thought life. You will find that your behaviour trots along behind once you've made the decision in your will and start practicing it. Doctors practice, they're still trying to get it right so why shouldn't we? The enemy knows when he's dealing with the flesh He can stir up the desires of the mind any time he wants to, if you allow him access. He uses apathy and disinterest. What's the point? Nothing changes. It won't if you stay there and keep declaring it. Whatever you speak out, you empower. Make sure it is blessing all the time. Dust is his food. How long are you going to be lunch for him? we must hit a time when we decide I am going to change the way I think and I'm going to start overcoming myself. Remember Graham's word at the beginning you shall overcome yourself and then you will no longer be your own worst enemy. That's good news! So we're learning to live from the inside to the outside moving from the inner man of the spirit through the outer man of the soul to touch the world around us. We're finding that peace is a weapon and we're learning to bring ourselves to peace in every troubling situation by choosing peace over anxiety. This is an absolute necessity. We should be working on our peace levels every day because peace is a weapon against the enemy. He will always try to dislodge you from your place of safety in Christ. Each day, in every situation, God is training us both for reigning and to fight. He's training us to live a consistent life in Him, no matter what's occurring. We're growing in our confidence towards Him in every situation and cooperating with Him at every level. It's called growth. We are believing that the Lord is always willing to help us, always for us, that he's incapable of letting us down. Therefore we have boldness and courage to stand firm. This knowledge enables us to hold our nerve and be fearless in the face of enemy attack. Fearlessness is not presumption, We do not go up against the enemy until permission is granted by our commanding officer. Fearlessness is shown in the way we stand in the face of attack. We don't run. We stand. We are headed towards being warriors not simply foot soldiers. We're going up the ranks. We're being transformed from one degree of glory to another as by the Spirit of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3:18 The God who knows our journey better than we do has to strategically placed provision next to every problem, obstacle, and opposition that we might encounter. Human or demonic. Enduring and persevering through tough times in the right spirit enables us to combat the enemy more effectively. He hates confident Christians. He hates praying Christians and he hates intimacy with a passion. Being in tough circumstances for an extended period without learning or becoming what's necessary means we have waited out the Lord, not waited on him. We haven't produced anything that we can use as a reserve or a storehouse later. We've wasted the trial. As a result, we may need to go through the situation or circumstance again in order to gain from it. Everything in and around our lives, good, bad or indifferent, can be used to profit. With the right mindset, we can turn our obstacles into opportunities, stepping stones into a higher place in God. God's agricultural. He plans that we should grow not just stay in a baby state until Jesus comes or our home call comes. When we have children our whole aim is to equip them for life and see them grow and eventually to let them go into their own lives and families. God is our pattern for this. It's His intention that we are not static or stagnant but that we grow and flourish and come into everything that Jesus won for us on the cross. Unfortunately like Joash in 2 Kings 13 verses 14 to 19 we can be passive or half-hearted in our response to him and not recognize that our response is actually linked to our ability to overcome. Because Joash was half-hearted in his response to what he probably thought was a ridiculous request from Elisha He didn't come into victory in the way he should have done or indeed the way God intended him to. From the passage I'm about to read it looks as though Joash was more concerned with how the death of Elisha was going to affect him than anything else. So I'm reading from 2 Kings 13 verses 14 to 19 in the New King James Version. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash the king of Israel came down to him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said open the east window and he opened it then elisha said shoot and he shot and he said the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from syria for you must strike the syrians at aphek until you have destroyed them then he said take the arrows so he took them and he said to the king of israel strike the ground so he struck the ground three times and stopped and the man of god was angry with him and says you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Thought-provoking stuff. I'll leave you to uh, think about it a bit. So I said at the beginning that I'd give you a fail-safe mechanism today to maturity. a maturity. It's this. You need a rule of life. Something that you live by every single moment of every single day. Something through which everything is pushed. Every thought, every deed, every word. In early Christianity, in churches, orders and monasteries where the word of God was kept alive during the Dark Ages many people used to teach what they called a rule of life. It was aimed at all classes of people but it had particular benefit among the uneducated. The idea was to take a short passage of scripture, memorise it and live out all your life's issues through it. The Latin word for it was regular, meaning rule. We get our English word regular from it. It means that you do something on such a regular basis that it becomes a way of life. Part and parcel of your life. It becomes your rule of life or your life's rule. It becomes a value in your life, something that you would not bend or divert from. It's preset in the same way that you would never lie, steal, or commit adultery, would you? So the regular, as it was called, was something that you talked through, you prayed through, you lived out and you filtered the whole of your life through that particular rule of life. A regular involves a pattern for living in which we develop a harmony and rhythm with the nature of God. In other words, we begin to think as He thinks and act as He acts. As He has promised we will in the prophetic word. We don't just claim to have the mind of Christ, we actually develop it, and it's the real thing, not some sort of super spiritual claptrap. A regular acts as a filter. All your thoughts, your patterns of behaviour, from which all your actions are drawn, are all pushed through that rule as if they were being pressed through a sieve. Our thoughts and actions become preset as we live in the rule of life. It takes some time to get into the practice, but the Holy Spirit is brilliant at this if you ask him. And beloved, we're going to have to start cooperating with the Holy Spirit if we want to achieve this acceleration. He is more than willing to help. You simply need to get to know him and ask him for his help. Make yourself vulnerable to him. Allow yourself to be corrected by him. Be teachable and rejoice in it because there will be things he will want to change about the way you are, but that is what development is about – change and growth. When I first listened to Graham Cook's teaching and I heard him talking about getting people to live in a scripture, I didn't understand what he meant. I hadn't heard the term regular or rule of life then but just recently i realized that from a very early stage in my christian walk the holy spirit had taught me to live by certain rules of life albeit they weren't scriptures my first regular or rule of life uh, and it was a scripture this one was matthew 6:33 seek first and only the kingdom of god and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you." That was what Graham was talking about, and God himself taught me. He took me through stages in this for many years, and still does, until I knew that my life was to be kingdom first, kingdom second, and kingdom third. And if there was anything left, it was kingdom. In other words, he sought my complete allegiance to his rule and reign in my life. My life was his, to do with as he chose, and he would undertake to provide anything and everything I needed if I would live my life by this rule and under his complete lordship. I would be a partaker in the kingdom of God. The second rule he introduced me to was not a scripture, and it was this no defence, no attack. He showed me that if I insisted on fighting my own battles along the way he couldn't fight for me, neither would he vindicate me. But should I decide to live without defending myself or attacking anyone else, he would not only fight for me, but in due time would be my vindicator. My third rule was three words honesty integrity and transparency for many years I lived and still do live with these words as my rule of life total integrity total honesty and total transparency before God and man I don't have a hidden agenda what you see is who I am here and at any other time I do not have two faces a public one and a private one. This is all there is. My fourth fourth rule uh, and the one that I'm currently running with right now as well as the other two or three tagging along behind is everything for an audience of one. In other words, everything I do in thought, word or deed, I do it all in the full sight of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am only aware of his scrutiny, only looking for his approbation. I do nothing to gain the praise of man. I only seek to give glory to him and obtain his approval. And I hasten to say that one rule does not cancel out the other. I am living with all four of these, but they are summed up, really, in the last one. How about this one? no matter what any man does to me, I will never seek to do harm to him. I will never set out for revenge. I will never seek anything but his highest good. That was a quote from a man called William Barclay who was describing the agape love of God. God's love and nature that's being formed in us. Now that would take some living as a rule of life. (laughs) we're getting there but what if that's the journey that God has us on what if that is his highest for us how would that change your current mindset and lifestyle no matter what any man does to me I will never seek to do harm to him I will never set out for revenge I will never seek anything but his highest good. So a question. What rule are you living by? What is the rule that governs your life, governs all your thinking? Do you have one? Is it time you did? A godly rule of life is something that will shape the way you think, shape the way you act. And shape the way you live and from that point on you will never act outside that rule of life never all your philosophy every word every action is shaped by the rule of life that you live in the Holy Spirit will educate you down to the last scruple and will make you acutely aware when you step outside of your rule So if it's kept and worked on, it keeps you out of trouble with God and it accelerates your growth. It's brilliant.